long have any of us got? Well, got to what? To live? Okay, well, 120 years. That's the biblical limit. It might be less. <laughs> Maybe we just got today. But what I want to ask is, how long have we got to live together? And a whole nother cup of tea. And it's the reality with which the Apostle Paul must deal. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, when they came to him, why would they come to him? Fifty miles on foot. Because he had built a relationship with them. They knew him and they trusted him. We're going to be focusing today on people with whom we already have a relationship. People who hopefully know that they can trust us. We get to listen in as Paul speaks to some friends who he must leave behind. He does not expect to see them again on this earth. So the words will be carefully chosen and of great importance. He said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul is going to point out, is going to point to his life among them to guide them in how they should live. Wouldn't it be good to be able to do that with people we know? Except we're not perfect. Good news. Neither was Paul. You know, that's good news. Okay, it's my guess that he was further along in his walk with the Lord than uh, any of us are. But the point is that he did some things right. and We do some things right. <laughs> let's point people to that. Tell them to follow us in that. And let's live the rest of our lives knowing how important it is to live as an example. I mean, do we need to point out that people learn from us as much by how we live as how we speak? Okay, maybe probably more by how we live. Talking about how Paul lived, he said he was serving the Lord with all humility. Serving the Lord. Let's not forget that's what we are doing with our lives. Okay, that's what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. The first of the three ways Paul served the Lord was with all humility. Humility. I was thinking, you know, you and me, no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the truth. It's pretty easy to be humble when all you've got is, well, us. <laughs> but from a guy who just raised a young man from the dead, I know he did that after he taught in Ephesus, but they certainly heard about it. And he did many miracles when he was there. He performed the signs of an apostle. How does a person who can, by the way, send off a cloth covered in his sweat and cause the healing of another person possibly stay humble? Well, God has his ways. In Paul's case, that included a physical ailment. But I think by this point, Paul understood it. Remember from our discussion last week, that Paul was almost nonchalant in his raising Eutychus from the dead. It was like he was just discovering it rather than making it happen with a proclamation. He was more like an EMT leaning over a person who has collapsed. He listens for a heartbeat 
And then pops his head up and announces, he's alive. I think that's how it was with Paul. Now, don't misunderstand. Eutychus really was dead. What Paul discovered when he leaned down by him was that God had decided to put his life back in his body. Maybe it went something like this. Paul leaned down and prayed, Hey God, what do you think about raising this kid? And God said, That's exactly right, Paul. That's what I want to do. Good job. So God did. And Paul said, Don't be alarmed. He's alive. And when you know that everything you do, you can only do because God gives you the ability... There's no point in getting proud about it. (laughs) God's doing it. He's just letting you play a part. Paul would be the first to say, not by my power. That's easy to see with miracles and with a guy like Paul. But what about for us? You ever seen a young guy really proud of his looks? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) What did you do to get those looks? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Be grateful and understand that God has his reasons. And be humble. The same goes for talents and intelligence, even jobs and education. We must remember that God arranged the universe so that we could have that job or that education. But back to Paul and his life. Paul also served God with tears. If you read much of Paul's writing you quickly discover he's not a crying kind of guy. (laughs) He was a pretty tough customer. So what's he talking about? What's he mean by tears? I think he's simply talking about intensity and concern. He's saying he poured out his life for them. All right. Paul is talking to elders, that community's name for pastors. There is a high expectation of caring performance. Frankly, if a person does not have intense compassion for their congregation, they have no business being a pastor. But are there not people in every believer's life for whom we should have intense compassion? Shocking to me the number of parents who do not feel this way towards their own kids or grandkids. More worried about their own welfare than those little ones. But... Letting everybody said that we as believers do that. And also, is it not likely that God intends for us to feel this way for some people beyond our family? Now, don't misunderstand. We're not called to save the world. <laughs> but there are certainly some people God brings into our sphere of influence whom we can help. And I've been talking about feelings but I, I don't want you to get the impression that Paul means just an emotion. Uh, this is an act of the will. And yes, it carries with it emotions. It's supposed to. God gave us emotions to both help us to do and reward us for doing the right thing. But I believe Paul is saying that they must choose to have this deep compassion. Well, that he chose it. Later he'll get on to telling them to live like this. And later still we'll see that we're supposed to copy them. But before that, here's a strange one, a third way that Paul served the Lord. He did with humility, tears, but also with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Well, he says it like he chose those trials. Okay, Paul, we can see how you can choose humility and tears, but how do you choose trials? Especially when you say that the Jews who didn't believe caused them. 
I can think of a couple of ways. Perhaps you can come up with some others. First, he goes through it. (laughs) He could have quit when it got tough. Most people would have. But he stuck it out. There's no real magic here. You know, we got to stick it out when it gets tough. Even when it's tough, we must make it through trials. And I think Paul is also talking about how he endured the trials. It's one thing to make it through a trial grumbling and complaining all the way. (laughs) It's another to come through it with an attitude of gratefulness to God for giving you the trial. I mean, he does have his reasons. Paul knew the miracles weren't done by his power, and he knew the trials weren't really about him either. God gave him the miracles, and he was thankful. God allowed the trials, and he rejoiced in all things. And again, I say rejoiced. Sorry, a little scripture humor there. Do you know Paul used the word rejoice more than any other New Testament writer? And no believer that we know of went through more suffering than Paul. The next most frequent user of rejoice in the New Testament? Jesus. And no one ever suffered more. And we're complaining about our little problems? (laughs) How embarrassing. Let's rejoice, even in trials. We have to live right and speak the good news, even when it's tough. Especially when it's tough. With humility, with tears. That is how Paul served God. Paul served with humility, tears, and through the trials. Now Paul will point out three things that he did. Well, starting with something that he did not do. I did not shrink from declaring to you everything that was profitable. Did not shrink from declaring. Courage is not acting without fear. Any fool can do that. Courage is acting even though you are afraid. It's a choice of the will to overcome even overwhelming debilitating fear. Will over fear that otherwise would cause you to shrink back from doing your duty. Paul did not shrink from declaring in spite of his legitimate fears for his life and safety. Now I know dying for your friends and relatives is a walk in the park compared to the courage required to talk to them about that which is profitable for them to hear. But we, like Paul, must declare everything profitable for them. We can't shrink from this if we truly serve the Lord and care for them. And where did Paul do this declaring? Teaching you in public and from house to house. In public and in private. Any questions about where we should be expressing our courage in teaching? Paul also did not shrink from testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had courage to teach what he knew and to testify to what he had experienced. Paul didn't limit this to just those who were easy or those who were like him. He reached out to everyone God put in his path. And around what did the content of his teaching and testifying revolve? Repentance, that's admitting you need God's help. And faith in Jesus, that's believing he can and will save you. 
I mean, folks, the basic message is everlasting. Now we just have to clearly say it. Paul talked about serving with humility, in tears, through trials, and how he had courage to speak that which is of eternal importance to everyone God placed in his path. He now moves on to the first of two predictions. Uh, They're actually sure prophecies, actually. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Hmm. Paul knows it's going to be bad, even if he doesn't know the details. And note that the same Holy Spirit who tells him he's going to have troubles constrains him to go there anyway. (laughs) Uh, When that guy smashed his big truck into the rear of the car I was driving about 10 years ago, I was able to brace myself because I saw him in the mirror just a fraction of a second before he hit me so I didn't get hurt. Uh, If you know trouble's coming your way, it's a lot easier to take, you know? (laughs) Uh, Maybe I just tell you right now, trouble is coming. Okay, just... There you go. Now you know. But the same Holy Spirit who, through the scriptures, told us trouble will come in our lives, also promises to be with us through it. Our job, like Paul's, is simply to get through it while continuing to serve God. With the right attitude. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And none of us have a job exactly like Paul's, but we should all tell people of how God's grace was granted to us. We didn't deserve it. He gave it to us anyway. (laughs) We need to finish our course doing just that. And if you're still on this earth, you are, right? (laughs) Your course is not yet finished. Keep at it. With every breath, testify of God's grace to you. I mean, you wouldn't even have breath if he had not extended grace to you. We shouldn't spend our energy worrying about ourselves and what will happen to us. God will take care of that. We need to do our jobs, to do our duty. Paul knows there will be trouble. And then on to his second prediction. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Truth is, there's no certainty we'll all be together again. We don't even know for sure we'll be alive next Sunday, let alone that we'll be here. We are finite, not infinite. We are finite in life. God may take us home. We are finite in location, so God may move us somewhere else. But we can be sure that God will be with us, every one of us, even if we don't get together again until the rapture. But this thought made Paul say, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Innocent of their blood? What's that about? Well, he's innocent of them dying. I mean, it's important. And not physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. 
This message, this good news of eternal life, is important, ultimately important. Unless we tell those God brings into our lives the whole counsel of God, we are not innocent of their blood. The question is, when are we going to do this? (laughs) How are we going to do this? Paul did not shrink. He maintained courage. And of course, we already heard some of his other thoughts. Humility, knowledge that this is God's work, tears with intensity and concern, through trials and how we deal with them. But what about this whole counsel of God? Paul first started by testifying concerning repentance to God and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. The whole counsel of God can wait until they've made a decision for Christ. (laughs) And when they do, they're newborns. So start them with the milk, feed them steak later. So remember, Paul is an apostle speaking to pastors. Now, none of us have Paul's credentials and most of us aren't pastors. But don't use that as an excuse not to do your part. Speak about repentance and forgiveness, the grace of God. But Paul doesn't say all this about what he has done for his own benefit. He's about to ask them to care for others as he cared for them. First, though, Pay careful attention to yourselves. Careful as to yourself. Lately there's been a lot of talk about pastors, which these guys were. How they need to first minister to themselves and their families before they are suited to care for the flock. And that's good. But I think this is, this too is true of all believers. I mean, you're here. So you're already paying attention to that. And let me encourage you to also do this via daily Bible reading. If you don't have one in your Bible, pick up a reading checklist from our information tables. And if you don't have a Bible, pick one up. I mean, we make them free to anybody and everybody who needs one. And if you aren't in some Bible study with other people, join one. I think ours are particularly good. Uh, and if you think you know your Bible pretty well and you want to go further, make sure you, that you do that by joining our special forces training and you'll have to talk to me individually about that. And well... Get to it. (laughs) Start telling people of repentance and forgiveness in Christ. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Well, overseers, that's the pastors, and that's a function that pastors, elders have. But it's also a function all Christians with any maturity have. Uh, There's almost certainly someone whom the Holy Spirit has placed in your life to oversee. How careful are you? Uh, when you look at them, do you remember that you represent God to them? That's a scary thought. Did you know, by the way, side note kind of, that only 2% of Americans fully approve of the actions of our representatives in Washington, D.C.? 2%. <laughs> there are a lot of those representatives who, aren't, who weren't you know, re-elected for another term. Because they did not do what they were elected to do. So, based on your actions and words, with those people that the Holy Spirit has given you, would they be surprised to discover that God elected you? Or would they say, ah, duh, of course. Be careful as to your flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Uh, Whose church is it? It's not the pastor's. It's not yours. 
It is God's. To whom does your flock really belong? Our kids and our grandkids, they're not our kids. They're really God's kids. Our friends don't belong to us, of course. But they do belong to God. And yet God, the Holy Spirit, has placed them in our care for the moment. So let's be careful. But careful of what? (laughs) For what should we be watching, Paul? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Fierce wolves will come in? There will always be people trying to get into the church for the purpose of destroying it. They will not spare the flock. Pastors, also called elders or overseers, must be vigilant in what teaching is allowed in the church and who is allowed to come into the church and teach. Is there any chance you've missed the truth that false teachers come into the lives of those God has given you to shepherd? We can't always be there for our friends, our family, our employees, whatever. We must teach those around us to consider the source. When a guy tells a young girl she has beautiful eyes, (laughs) there's a very good chance he's a fierce wolf. (laughs) He's interested in consuming her, not caring for her. When a college prof at our very anti-Christian state-run colleges tells a person like my brother that millions of people have been killed by Christians as witches, werewolves, etc., etc. He's a fierce wolf who does not care for that young person, but only to justify himself. Again and again, blatant lies are spewed out by those who are selling something. Every philosophy is a sales pitch for a lifestyle, or what they want in their lives. You want to know a person? Know their philosophy. We must watch ourselves and discern the spirits, as John wrote, of those who mean to influence us. But also be careful to teach those with whom we have relationship to consider the source. When I hear someone say ridiculous things about Christians, like, we want to kill babies, all Christians want to kill babies. That, I actually heard that from the mouth of a college kid, age kid standing right there, who is repeating what a teacher told him. I usually ask, Who's the Christian you know who wants to do that? How many Christians you know that want to kill babies? Do you think I would do that? And to the point here, who is it that told you that's what Christians do? I'll guarantee you it's someone who does not want to be held to God's standards. And they won't admit that they are guilty, so they will not and cannot believe Jesus can and will save them. And they're sure not going to help others find freedom in Christ. In fact, they'll do all they can to keep people away from him, including blatant lying. Fierce wolves outside the church will attack every believer. And those who do not yet believe and those who will never believe. (laughs) But I'm afraid Paul has a more serious warning yet. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There will be people who attend church who will speak twisted things. There are those who call themselves Christians who will mislead many. And I'm not talking about Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or Christian Science or the other cults, although they do try to pass themselves off as Christians. 
And many, even in the church, don't know enough about true Christianity to differentiate between it and the cults. But I'm talking about real evangelical churches, Baptist churches, our own converged churches. Just because a person says they are a Bible-believing Baptist does not mean that they are a Bible-believing Baptist or any other denomination or Bible-teaching group. And we're not talking about defining affirmations, the differences between Bible-believing people of, for example, the Assembly of God churches and ours. We're talking about people who deny the basic Christian faith, but they do it secretly, trying to lead people astray from inside our organizations. Everything must be checked against the Word of God. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Be alert. Admonish everyone with tears. It is important. There are liars in this world. Stand against false teaching. It's not okay that somebody says something wrong about the Bible. It's not okay that they attribute something to the Bible that's not in it. Neither is it okay that anyone dismisses anything the Bible says as not true. I know the Bible says that, but in this situation, uh, oh, that might have been good for them, but for us, we have to... I know, we live under grace and not under the law, but that doesn't mean the law has nothing to say. If it's in the Bible, we need to know what the Bible says, how the writer and the readers would have understood it, how we should understand it, what the application is to our lives. Admonish, to caution, advise, or counsel against something, to reprove or scold, especially in a mild and good and willed manner, to urge to a duty, remind, admonish them with tears. It's important. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Commended to God. Paul was leaving. He had to hand them over to someone. (laughs) Who better than God in his word? In particular, the word of his grace. God saves us not because we are worth saving but because he is a God who saves. (laughs) This is wonderful news. Uh, When we sin, and we all do, our actions do not disqualify us from salvation because our actions never qualified us for salvation in the first place. If someone says, I can't be a Christian, you don't know what I've done. We can say, I don't know what you've done, but I do know what God has done. He gave his son, not because you were worth it, but because he is a God who loves you. It does not matter what you've done. What matters is what he has done. And God, through his word, will build you up. Isn't it great? He builds us up. Ultimately, we don't do the work. God does. I mean, who do you think does better work? You know, God or us? (laughs) You know, silly question. We can tell them another wonderful thing. If you believe, God also will give you an inheritance, eternal life, a perfect, exciting, eternal life with all those who are being set apart for him. Okay. Now Paul goes back to his life as an example again. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 
In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul does not say he got no support from them, so it appears that Paul did not work without their support, but in cooperation with it. Unlike Corinth, Paul could not even take a penny from them (laughs) because they were too weak spiritually to support the very one who led them to Christ. But the Ephesians had also not achieved the maturity of those in Philippi, the ones who not only supported Paul while he was with them, but also while he was in Corinth and Ephesus. The truth here is that the number one problem of leaders of any kind is the tendency to fleece the flock, to extract money from those whom they are supposed to care. Now, we've seen it in civic organizations, in business. The CEO of Nissan was arrested this week for taking money he shouldn't have. CEO of Nissan? It shows up in government offices, well, all too often. (laughs) And sadly, even in the church. So let's make sure we don't do that. And reasonable support, yes, the laborer deserves his wages. Jesus said that himself. But when Paul says in all things, he means in every part of his life, in every part of our lives. It's not just our words that tell of Christ. All our lives show Christ. Are we living like it does? Help the weak and remember Jesus' words, Paul said. Helping the weak is sometimes hard to do, and hard jobs require encouragement. (laughs) Get it from Jesus. Get it from his word. It's good advice. In the little time he had left, the apostle told them he served with humility, with tears, through trials. He didn't tell them all that was profitable in public and private to those like him and those unlike him that God brought to him. He knew it was going to be bad, but the Holy Spirit that drove him will also be with him and help him through. He recognized that his life was nothing without Jesus and the mission he had to tell the good news of God's grace. God let him know that they would never see him again. He was innocent of their blood. They needed to continue to be careful of themselves and those God gave them. (sighs) Fierce wolves will come in, not just from outside the church. They must be alert, but not to worry. God will take care of them in Paul's absence. Just as he did not, they must not fleece the flock. Well, this is the end of what Paul said to them, but it's not the end of his encouragement to them. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Prayer. Prayer is vitally important. We should pray for those who are not yet believers. We should pray for and with those who are believers. One of the great encouragements in my life was from my daughter-in-law, Stacy. Some years ago, she was about to undergo surgery and Paul and I were waiting with her. I asked her if I could pray and of course she assented. After we prayed, she thanked me and said, I'm sorry, I guess I've been, I said, I'm sorry, I guess I've been praying a lot more lately. But Stacy said, oh no, (laughs) you've always prayed a lot. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I don't pray enough. (laughs) I don't. But for my wonderful daughter-in-law to see me as a man of prayer, it was greatly encouraging. And that's an encouragement you want. Pray with your believing flock. Ask them to pray. Make prayer an expected part of your life.
And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. When we live as God intended with those whom the Holy Spirit has given us to shepherd, we will share a mutual love. Paul's duties to God required him to leave them, and they felt it deeply. But they didn't just say, well, all right, bye then. (laughs) They helped Paul when he had to leave them. Accompanied him in, in the Greek is sent him forth. It's a phrase they used back then that meant they helped him on his way. Do you need anything, Paul? You need money? Do you need clothes? Do you need food? Anything. Those well-loved people loved Paul so much that they helped him leave them. It's important that we not hang on to people like they belong to us. We've all heard stories of drowning people grasping the one who swam out to save them such that they both drown. We've also seen mothers and sometimes fathers who couldn't let go of their children and stifled their lives. The old proverb, hold things loosely and people tightly, it's great encouragement to loving others. But we must remember that every person is God's creation. They belong to him, not us. Even though we want them to stay with us, we might have to let them go. Perhaps we will need to help them as they leave us. But all these leavings are temporary. All who believe will one day be together with Jesus. We don't know when that will occur, just as we do not know how long we have to be together with those God has given us. Do we admonish our flocks with tears, intensely and with concern? Do we love them in humility? Do we live life, both the good and the trials, in such a way that they see Jesus in us? Do we have the courage to tell them what they need to hear, of repentance, of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? We may not have tomorrow. We may not have tomorrow to testify to the good news of the grace of God. So let us pay careful attention to ourselves, to our flock, warning of the danger of false teachers, not looking to gain a benefit from our flock, but aching for them to be blessed. And let's pray with them and for them. Let's make sure when it's time for us to say goodbye, that it's a good goodbye. So maybe we can say something like what Paul wrote just before he was executed for his faith, for doing just the things we've been talking about. He said to the one to whom he was closest of all, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Could we say that? Would you like to be able to say that? You can. With courage, start to live now, like Paul, and you too can have peace and confidence in the time for your departure comes. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. 
We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.